Hello and welcome to Wine Blast. I'm Susie Barry. With me is my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. So, MW Husband, yeah. WTAF. Mm, that's a lovely warm introduction and welcome. Thank you. WTAF indeed, because this episode is all about wine in alternative formats AF, like bag in box, pouch, cans, plastic bottles, kegs, and how, according to their proponents, they might just help save the planet while enabling you to drink deliciously. Mm, the climate crisis is, of course, a huge focus right now, particularly in the wake of COP26 in Glasgow. And I think we're all asking ourselves, what are we doing to help or hinder in the face of this impending catastrophe? Here's a taster of what's to come. Nobody would think of the wine industry as uh, you know, a villain in the climate story. Now this is certainly an eye-opening episode, one you definitely want to stick with to the end, uh, as we're going to hear from these alt-formers, um, format warriors? Transformers? Yeah, nice Transformers. <laughs> that brings back a whole set of memories. Um, but um, you know, we're also going to get a sense of the overview from sustainability charity RAP. And we're going to recommend a few alt-pack wines as well, delicious ones. Uh, now, most, I think, sensible wine drinkers just want to enjoy their wine and not ruin the planet while they're doing it. You know, But how to make the right choices in that sense, that's what we're going to be diving into. Absolutely. We should also just quickly explain that WTAF is the acronym for... Mm, I'm wine... interested in what you're going to say next. Well, you, you... wine... <laughs> It's a good start, okay. isn't it? Thank goodness. Yeah. Wine Traders for Alternative Formats. Mm. Um, mm. It's a recently formed grouping created to tie in with COP26 and the association with the perhaps better known meaning of that acronym is not a coincidence. Uh, let's not <laughs> go into explain it. this politely? No, no, no. no. It, mean, um, let, most let's people just, know let's what just, it means, don't they? Yeah, I think, I, I think people do. And, um, yeah. and I think we all know it deliberately signifies a, an expression of surprise and, and shock. That's very decorously um, But yeah. we're going to come on to that in due course. Yeah, we are. OK, so just before we start, though, we've got a couple of things to mention. Firstly, to congratulate once again the winners of our big English wine adventure competition, uh, who won a full set of all three amazing wines. Um, Sally Hitt suggested the Marine Conservation Society for our charity and said when we told her she'd won that she was, and I quote, gobsmacked, over the moon, and very honoured. And she added bravo for choosing the Marine Conservation Society and here's to raising lots of money. Uh, Luke Wolfe, who suggested the name Hope and Glory for our sparkling wines, brilliant name, said he was thrilled and actually he got the news as he was harvesting grapes, which is very appropriate. Brilliant, very, very appropriate. <laughs> so um, anyway, we're, we're really excited um, as you all know about our big English wine adventure. The wines go on sale on Thursday the 25th of November. Mm. Check out our website for more details and and all profits will, as we've said, be going to the Marine Conservation Society to help restore our seas and fight climate change. Mm. These are amazing, unique English wines. Uh, so please help us out and bye, bye, bye. Yeah, we need your help. Um, now, following on from this, we'd also like to congratulate Will Nathan, uh, who's won our Wine GB competition from... Um Series 3, Episode 2, when we were talking about the future of English wine. Uh, thank you to everyone who took part in that competition. Sorry for the delayed announcement about all this. Uh, we had so many lovely reviews and ratings. Um, each and every one we massively appreciated, so thank you. But just to read out Will's uh, uh, review that he wrote, he said, This is how you do a wine podcast. Uh, informal, insightful, practical, full of tips, humour and intel. I can't commend this podcast enough. We um, love you, Will. Thank, you. Thank, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Will. Will. We love you. Oh, well said. Well said. 
Um, and he said he was going to take the wines to Australia to show his, and I quote again, wine snob dad what English wine is all about these days. Love that. <laughs> Didn't one review tell us we should be swearing more? Yeah. Going back to what we were <laughs> WTFing. Um, they, they, I think they'd particularly like the uh, the episode we did on fake booze, didn't they? The, the infamous explicit episode, which, <laughs> which, you know, it's not us. But they, they did indeed, um, you know, and I am going to, I am not going to make the obvious riposte to that. Isn't it WTAF? <laughs> <laughs> surely <laughs> it's not bleepable um but yeah you know we, we we also got awarded if you remember 100 points by one reviewer um wow. you know which i think surely is the pinnacle of any wino's career we should just retire now was that uh, robert parker uh, no it wasn't even bob but uh, but we'll take the 100 points <laughs> bob park <laughs> yeah. uncle bob uh, you know we were we were encouraged uh, also to keep disagreeing which is always good for our marriage <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. I wonder if, yeah, anyway. Uh, and then someone said, uh, and I quote, uh, it sounds like they're having fun producing the show for us all to enjoy. And I think that's pretty spot on, isn't it? It's fair enough. We do enjoy this. So we thank you very much for listening. We enjoy it far listening. too much some of the time, which is why they last so long. <laughs> anyway, back to the main business, um, wine in alternative formats. We should just mention, we did an episode on glass and glass bottles for mm. wine, which was series two, episode three, which is well worth a listen in this context if you haven't heard it already. Mm. But essentially, alternative formats means everything other than glass bottles for wine. So things like bag in box or bib, as they're known, pouches, mm. including Bagnums, which, which probably is does what it says on the just tin. Just a, a, a sort of 1.5 very litre large bag, bag. about 1.5 litre pouch. Yeah. yeah. Flat bottles, um, paper bottles, which are sort of reshaped bag and boxes, kegs and cans. Yeah. And, and they've all come to the fore lately, haven't they, with the mounting concern and action being taken over the climate crisis. Uh, because their supporters say they are one of the most effective ways of lowering wine's carbon footprint and climate impact, uh, mainly because they take less energy to make or recycle and they're lighter, crucially. So they take less energy to transport around the place. Mm. Now, much cited are the ALCO studies. The ALCO by the- studies. And that's where the K rather than the C. K A L K O studies by the Finnish monopoly alcohol monopoly, which rated the carbon footprints of different types of wine packaging per litre. Now, traditional glass bottles, um, which weigh about 540 grams, had emissions of 675 grams of carbon dioxide or equivalent per litre. A lightweight glass bottle, which is possible to get as well and people are moving towards, had 525 grams. A PE plastic bottle 245 grams an aluminium can 190 grams a wine pouch 96 grams and bag in box 70 grams Mm. so by this calculation bag in box currently has not far off 10 times less impact in terms of carbon footprint than traditional glass yeah so so where before alternative formats were novelties uh, you know, often named at the very cheapest end of the market. We've all been there. Um, now they're being championed as having proper wine in them and the eco-friendly option to boot. But, you know, can they take off in the big market? Sweden uh, has over 60% of its wines in bagging boxes, apparently. Uh, France has roughly 38% of its supermarket sales in bagging boxes. Didn't know that. Um, mm. But the UK apparently is only around 2 to 5% bagging box wines. We're way behind, aren't we? Way yeah. So, behind. you know, that has grown apparently over lockdown, which is interesting. And it would be interesting to tease out the reasons for that. But, you know, the big question is will wine drinkers really forsake or forego glass bottles? I mean, sometimes glass 
it's the only thing that'll do, isn't mm. it? Really? Mm. For, for, for sparkling wine, for example, yeah. because of the pressure. Um, or for wines that need long ageing. I mean, alternative formats still don't have anywhere near the shelf life of glass mm. because they're not totally inert or impermeable. Mm. But even so, it does seem as if the, the winds of change are blowing. Um, a recent study by UK-based RAP reported that 63% of UK consumers want businesses to take immediate action to tackle climate change. Mm. And 29% think food and drink businesses are behind other countries. Yeah, so we wanted to hear the views of the transformers uh, or the alt pack, uh, as we'll we'll call I them. Love various these names. We, we need we need a competition to find the best name for, for this gang <laughs> Actually, of people. Yeah, come on, send us in your ideas. On, some ideas. Um, but anyway, um, WTAF. Uh, in the meantime, you know they they were doing a tasting to coincide with COP twenty six. So I was packed off in uh, a bag and box. In a bag, <laughs> wasn't in a bag in box. Felt a bit like it. I think you were busy with far more important things. I was. Uh, I anyway, was, I was. you know, I first was packing, up, <laughs> packing stop you. it. First up, we're going to hear from Rob Malin, uh, who's CEO of When in Rome, a specialist in alternative formats, from bag in boxes to cans, flat bottles, and, and paper bottles. Uh, Rob had actually just got back from speaking at COP26 as a representative of the wine industry, and this was what he had to say about that. Well, the, the funny thing was, is that I was with a lot of representatives of industries that have a huge image problem. There, there was, believe it or not, an oil and gas company on the panel that believes it's part of the solution to, to, to slowing global warming. I come from an industry, I think, that has like an opposite image problem because nobody would think of the wine industry as uh, you know, a villain in the climate story. And in fact, we are. Um, and so that was my point. I was there to say, actually... Um, I would like our industry to be the subject of more scrutiny because nobody is scrutinising our industry at all. It's completely under the radar and it should be scrutinised. In what way? Well, you know, there's just a lot we can do to reduce our climate impact. I mean, the wine industry, the wine industry's total global emissions are about 20% of that of aviation, right? So, you know, in aviation, everybody would think that's part of the problem, right? And not part of the solution. The wine industry is 20% of aviation. So let's just say that that's not nothing. We, we have a lot to play reducing our carbon footprint. Mm. Tell us about your work with Carbon Cloud, because that's really, really interesting. So Carbon Cloud is a very groovy Swedish startup, and they worked with Oatly, the Oatly brand, to um, calculate their overall carbon footprint. So when you buy Oatly in the supermarket, it has the carbon footprint on it. And we came to them, actually, uh, and said, look, will you help us do the same? And so we've started to add the carbon labeling to our products. Um, they, they have a, a very clever algorithm. You give them all the inputs that your producer is using to produce wine. You basically draw your supply chain out on a map for them and, and hand it to them. And then they just go, and here is the carbon footprint of the products on the shelf in the UK supermarket. It's a big undertaking for our business and has raised questions that we absolutely haven't foreseen. But you know, the, 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 the lesson we've learned from it is that you just have to be honest with the consumer about the, the number. I mean, firstly, because no one has a clue what that number should be anyway. You've, been, you've got to start somewhere, right? So you just put a number on your box and then your, your mission tends to reduce it. Do you think this sort of labelling of climate impact of a product should be mandatory? It should be things that something that everyone's doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to see it as mandatory. We don't believe in net zero necessarily. There's an obvious climate impact to the activity of our business. Right? So what we're just going to say, we, we come straight to the consumer and go, look, here is the climate impact of our business. We're doing all we can to minimise it. Uh, you know, and by the way, here is the climate impact of other things. You know, we, we did a study that if you were to put Arandera Davila from Sicily on your cornflakes instead of locally produced um, dairy milk, as in milk from a cow, um, you would 
it was fifty percent carbon saving. There's a thought. Now a double up on our cornflakes. Uh, when we can, <laughs> when we can... <laughs> so yeah, I mean, net zero may not exist in wine, but how do you see what what are the most pressing things for wine to address to get to become more sustainable to really you know become a leader in in the issue of sustainability? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, it wouldn't be that hard. It wouldn't be hard. But the wine industry is a low margin business, right? Um, it means it will respond to financial incentives or disincentives. Very, very quickly. Like we can't afford. It's not. It's not the oil and gas industry that can afford to keep paying damages to, to people. They spill oil everywhere. You know, like it's not like that. So we don't have deep pockets. So um, if there was a carbon tax, um, we would. Everybody's behaviour was <laughs> change overnight. And, and if, if there was some, I mean, a carbon tax is a radical proposal, but like carbon labelling, like we're starting to do, would be a very, very easy way of differentiating between you know the good producing bad. Maybe that's the way forward, yeah. Rob. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So I find his work with Carbon Cloud mm. fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I love the I love the idea of transparency about climate impact on labelling. You know, I love the attitude of you've got to start somewhere, put a number on it, then work to reduce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But to be honest, I'm still slightly perturbed by the thought of wine as a villain. Yeah. You know, I don't like that. It is quite shocking, isn't it? Oh, um, it's not nice. I suppose that's probably the point, though. And, and yeah. I suppose it's all about sort of being clear-eyed about the impact that businesses have on the planet, you know, and wine among them. Um, nothing has no impact. But, you know, I think we'll hear a bit more about this in our interview with Rap towards the end. So uh, I think let's, let's say hold that thought mm-hmm. Wine is a villain uh, for the moment. We're not quite done with it just yet. Okay, well, uh, one thought I probably won't be holding is near a Davila on my cornflakes. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> that was an interesting one, wasn't it? Really? I can drink wine at most times of the day, but the thought, yeah. no, no, oof, no. Uh, mm. And anyway, as for mandatory labelling and, and carbon taxing taxes, um, that's that's also quite hard to hear for the wine world, but maybe it will end up being necessary. Yeah, I mean, the last thing wine needs is extra costs um, and, and, and bureaucracy, but mm. it is certainly an interesting one. And I think it's also something we'll be touching on again in a moment so yeah uh, in the meantime i wanted to bring in ollie lee uh, from the bib wine company who put proper wine in boxes uh, and also pouches for tastings now ollie is one of the founder members of wtaf so i started by asking him wtaf we chose the name you know obviously with the with the understanding of what it often means um and i think partly because we feel that there's a message that should be being heard that isn't so it's actually a nice uh, appropriate double meaning for us mm. but it stands in our case for wine traders for alternative formats so what's the message that's not being heard move the move away from glass bottles to alternative formats is the by far the biggest leap we can make and that message i don't think is necessarily being heard or spread as widely as it could when you look into the details, it's really important. It's a huge, a huge difference. You know, if we were to move away from glass bottles in the UK alone, we could save 750 million kilos of CO2 equivalent emissions, which is massive. It's the same as... Is that per year? Per year, per year in the UK. So that's the equivalent of taking 350,000 cars off the road. Mm. And that's just in the UK. 
Um, so, you know, we want to put forward the positive aspects of alternative formats. We want to work with people that also bottle wines. And um, we're certainly not uh, out to, to upset anyone. But at the same time, I think it's important we realise where the wine industry has a problem with carbon footprint mm. and not sort of fudge around the edges too much. Just uh, let's start with what you do, you, your yeah. bib, your bag in box. So just explain really, really briefly and simply how your technology works. What, what's in your bag in box? So the box is cardboard, um, recycled content and recyclable. Inside that, there's a bag uh, attached to which there is a tap. Um, and the bag is multi-layered plastic. It's 100% recyclable. It, essentially, that multi-layer... Um, plastic technology um, is designed to to keep the wine in good condition for as long as possible Mm. and that's the name of the game the other really interesting aspect which is important for having this wine at home is the tap so the bag collapses as the wine pours out of the tap the tap's designed not to let air back in and the bag can collapse in on itself and this means you're not means you're not introducing more oxygen to the wine and so you can you can open it and then not worry about it. But talking about plastic, yeah, um, you know people do get worried mm-hmm. about plastic. Yes, um, and obviously you use plastic for your for, for the bag. Yeah. You know, and people worry about plastic because it it pollutes a potential pollutant yeah. for land, sea, air. They also worry about other things, potential contaminants, yeah. hormone disruptors, whatever it yeah. is. How are you addressing those concerns? Yeah. But I think on the on the last point, it's really important. Uh, we work very closely with our uh, suppliers. Um, all of our plastics are contaminant free in terms of the main known contaminants. In terms of how plastics seen, I think it's really important to say that what this plastic allows us to do here is to reduce the carbon footprint by ten times, which is massive. You know, in the light of COP twenty six, we're all focused at the moment on how we reduce carbon footprint, how we save ourselves from it's not even impending climate crisis it's a here and now climate crisis and so the most urgent thing we have to do is to reduce carbon footprint but that's not to say that we're happy to leave it there we've you know we've worked closely with other people in the industry and we teamed up with a company called Enval and they've got some really cool technology it's a new type of pyrolysis technology which is similar to thermal cracking what they do is they take our bags and taps, all of it, and they take our pouches as well. We have sample pouches and their caps, so pretty much anything we have. And they use this carbon-induced pyrolysis process. What that means is they crush carbon into the materials and then fire elect- uh, electricity through it to produce temperature. And they can control it uh, very uh, easily and to a very sort of minute degree of uh, accuracy. And that allows them to create new feedstock oils. So they break break down those plastics into feedstock oils that can be used to make brand new packaging. Food grade, food safe. It's not recycling as we know it. It actually is a completely, in terms of plastics, it's a completely closed loop system. And it's completely repeatable. So that's feedstock, food, food stock, feed, F- feedstock, that feedstock. Yeah, they're called feedstock oils. So if you imagine you're Goes making plastic, yeah, exactly. Okay. It, can, it, it can become new lycra. It can become new whatever it might be. And in fact, they have the ability to turn the temperature up and down. Mm. I'm simplifying a little. It's partly my understanding of their processes, but they have the ability to control it to change which polymers they're creating, mm. reducing it to, so that they can provide what's required for the industry at the time. But presumably that process involves quite a lot of energy inputs. Well, well. That's, that's the really interesting thing. It always has done. So thermal cracking, chemical recycling, pyrolysis has always been a bit of a sort of almost pie in the sky. It's possible. 
level, but it's energy intensive up until this carbon-induced version, because it takes a tiny amount of electricity to get the temperatures right up. And that's what's really quite new about it. And what's the, what's the take-up rate of, of, on this scheme? Because there's, there's obviously one thing yeah. being recyclable, another thing being recycled. And I'm aware that not everyone is yeah. necessarily as perfect as they would like to yeah. be in this. What, you know, how, what's your feel for the take-up rate of people sending? Because people, you ask yeah. people to send you these back in, you, the, yeah. the plastic elements back into you. It's hard to measure so far because we only launched this in February, March this year. If you imagine these bags take seven to ten bag-in-box liners and tabs, that's the equivalent of, of 30 bottles of wine. Not everyone gets through 30 bottles of wine in that time. But I think where we can measure it more safely is with our taster boxes. So we do little taster boxes, six samples, 100 mil samples, and they come in pouches. And those pouches, again, need recycling. They they're sort of fall into the hard-to-recycle re- bracket. Um, and they're caps. So we send a free post envelope out with those. And we've so far had a return rate of over 83% which is huge and, you know, I think a really good sign. And we hope to be able to push up the bag-in-box side to, to get close to that, that element as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the last point on that is the aim of doing all of this work um, and, and creating this system with us and Enval and all of Enval's other partners is to show, is, to, is almost a proof of concept so that Enval can then take those plants and get them into local authorities because what local authorities won't do is take a gamble and national the national government won't push them in any particular direction they're quite bad at that there's no unified recycling system here um so if you imagine in the 90s we had uh, bottle banks and we're all driving our bottles to the bottle bank and now they're all being collected so i think it's really to, to 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 have that proof of concept before the local councils can pick it up that way so you would like to ensure to be part of something um to show this can be done and actually get it rolled out nationally and then, to a curbside yeah. type at home pickup for plastics which could then be recycled exactly. very efficiently exactly and you know plastics are picked up much wider in other countries so it's a bit shameful that a it's not the same for every council and b we don't collect more of, of uh, types of plastic Holly lee thank you very much indeed thank you very much Fascinating to hear about their um, mm. plastic regeneration process with Enval and yeah. carbon-induced pyrolysis. I can't even say it. Carbon-induced pyrolysis. pyrolysis. I certainly couldn't yeah. say it after a bag in box, could I? Um, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, properly recycling plastics is surely one of the key challenges we need to address mm. alongside carbon emissions. So that sounds really positive Mm, doesn't it Um, and it would be great if schemes that could that like that you know could operate on a curbside basis yeah it'd be amazing yeah we absolutely need to deal with plastics properly Um, but you know I think the key thing is that Bibs scheme does need people to be proactive though you know to separate the cardboard from the bag in the first place after you've finished it then pop the bag in the in the envelope and then put it in the post to send it back in yeah I mean but think about it you know we've gone from thinking I don't want to take my own bags to the supermarket I'll never mm. remember them we do it automatically now we can and should absolutely it but- is a, it is more difficult than just grabbing a plastic bag yeah. at the end of your shopping but actually, no, it's totally. not that complicated. We all need to get our heads around it. We all need to yeah. contribute. We're either part of the problem 
all part of the solution. I agree, yeah. but you know, at the same time, you, you know, you need people to buy into these things. Yeah. Um, you know, and if it doesn't, people, then the plastic just goes to to, to landfill. Mm. Um, you know, so hopefully their indicative take up rate that he cited from the pouches recycling will be the same for bagging boxes. But I guess we'll just we'll just have to see. Mm. Now, one point we mentioned earlier was quality. Um, it's mm. important not to forget that wine quality is everything here because we can talk about sustainability till the cows come home but ultimately we want to drink decent wine mm, and yeah. so that has to underpin everything doesn't it T- totally you know so we're going to be recommending a couple of alt format wines later um, but one thing that's good to say right now is that you know I think what's exciting about this new generation of transformers, as I'm calling them, is is that I like wine. Transformers. I like transformers too. <laughs> wine quality is, you know, is right at the top of the list of their priorities. That's crucial, mm. and it's it's brilliant. I think, you know, these are pretty posh wines going into new packages. So, you know, at the tasting, I had a delicious Spanish orange wine from Bagnum. You know, and a lovely funky Bordeaux from Bag in Box. You know, I was working hard while you were doing your busy stuff. I love the see. idea of Spanish orange from Bagnum. And actually had been in the back end for quite a while. And it was absolutely delicious. Because, I mean, you know, orange wines, are, they don't always no, stay stable, do they? I, I mean, I that's quite a risk. Well, I don't know. I think they might be more stable uh, than, than other wines. I, actually, it's a good point. Depends how much self is in them. them. But yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, it seems I reckon it could suit the format. Mm. But anyway, um, you know, both of these wines were from more wine, uh, a specialist importer. You know, I asked owner, Rich Hamblin, if it was hard persuading people that good wine could come out of alternative formats. Bag in box wine has moved a long way since the days of stales of Chelsea on tap in your local boozer, and um, thankfully technology has moved on. So um, the, the 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 bag is far better. The tap on the bag is far better. I think in the seventies they were both prone to leaking a lot of air and hence oxygen into the wine and causing a lot of wine to spoil. And a lot of people just didn't understand that it had spoiled, and so hence for drinking terribly out of condition wine so that's all been tightened up and uh, you as far as i understand you work with uh, TerraCycle, is that right yes correct just can you explain just how that process works um we win i think by importing uh, bag in box wine because there's far far less weight the the packaging arrives at the winery flat packed as opposed to shipping empty glass bottles to the winery um but the 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 end consumer um, needs to get rid of the waste. So the cardboard, very easy, flat packed, off to the recycling. The plastic is tricky. Um, so the plastic can be complex. It can be a hard element with a tap. Uh, and the bag itself can be complex. It could be an aluminium layer. So a lot of councils don't readily recycle this. So that means that we work with TerraCycle and we collect back from consumers, from trade customers, the empty bags. And then we send them on to TerraCycle who rework them into usable plastic. Not perfect, but in the grand scheme of things, far, far better than it ending up in landfill. Not perfect in the sense of that plastic isn't perfect when it's when it's sort of recycled. It's not it can't be used for everything. Well, not perfect in that it involves the consumer or the trade consumer engaging with us and wanting to be involved. It's sort of trying to get a sense of the overview, isn't it? Really, it's not just about carbon emissions. There's there's a whole picture to take into account here. You know, how are people going to change? How are you going to help people to change? Wine consumers, wine lovers, like like most of us. Yeah, well, it's changing. So, I mean, it, just continuing to work hard, continuing to to try and find the very best wines that we can in these alternative packaged goods, yes. so that people are actually drinking something they want to drink, and not just for the sake of a sustainability tick. And what would you say to people who just like the feel and experience of their of their bottle of their wine? Um, in a bottle? I decant my beer wine into a lovely bottle. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> so, hey, so you got a bottle of that. 
Which yes. you re- so you reuse that. So you put your bag in box. You put the yes. You literally put it into bottle and serve it. Out encourages restraint as well, which is no bad thing. Does it? Okay. Yes. Well, yes. I like the, I like the idea that you're going beyond the bottle and, and the whole bag in box could be at risk. But what a lovely idea! Why not? Fantastic, uh, Rich. Thank you very much indeed for your thank time. Thank you. Thank you. That's a genius hack. Isn't, why, isn't it? Why have we not thought of that before? I mean. <laughs> It's just a no-brainer, isn't it? I feel really stupid not having thought of it. We are very slow. Yeah. I mean, you pour your bag and box into a nice bottle, which is reusable. I mean, you could even, if you wanted to, kind of push a cork into it. and Hey, presto, you've got the real deal. Yeah. You've got a nice feel on the table to pour out for your guests. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's... Rich. Genius, Rich. Um, So it's just so simple. Save the planet, drink deliciously. Um, You know, I think it was also interesting to learn a bit about TerraCycle, wasn't it? Um, Mm, And and more wine, touching on what we discussed earlier, they actually offer a cash rebate, a cash incentive to send the plastics back in, which is, I think, very helpful. Um, it certainly helped for initial stages, Yeah, I think it, so. I think so. People, yeah. Now, talking of cash savings, uh, I also spoke to Nick Darlington of Graft Wine, uh, which is going big on key kegs. Key kegs. Key kegs. Key kegs. Key kegs. Mm, mm. Tell now, us key more. Kegs, I know. I, I, need, I had to learn about it as well. This is, key kegs is the brand name, uh, but it's essentially a 20-litre, I think, bag in a plastic keg, and you attach it to pipes and serve it on draft. Uh, I think the best way is maybe if I put a picture of it up on the show notes mm. on our website, mm. cesiumpizza.com, uh, of what it looks like. And then I mean, presumably they're for bars and, uh, and restaurants or people who just drink a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah, no, they are for if you've got a draft set up at home, great. Um, and you have lots <laughs> of friends you. over. But no, I mean, they are, for, yeah, absolutely. They're for bars, restaurants. They're also for um, independent merchants who like, either have a bar or drink on site or they do refills. If you remember... We need more of that, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, Paula at uh, Vandenista, didn't they, of from course, our episode yeah, on yeah. how to buy wine, talked about having that as well. Yeah. But anyway, you, you fill a glass or bottle up from the keg, and then at the end it's light and recyclable rather than being cleaned out with harsh chemicals and carted around like the metal kegs we see, you know, for, for breweries and, and other things. And does, does that mean they, they, they come with a cost saving? Yeah, so I did cheaper? ask Nick about cost and quality uh, because in the past bigger formats haven't always been associated with quality. I think in the past, the bigger players who were doing this, and I won't name names, but some of the biggest distributors have been doing this actually quite a while, and they were using it as something to put out the cheapest of wines. I mean, the really cheapest of wines, the sort of things you would find in um, big pub chains at bottom, bottom house wine kind of level. Anything we have in keg is either from a winemaker we already work with on bottles, or even if we don't, we would anyway if we we needed to. So it's the same quality level, but crucially you are finding a cost saving of between 10 and 30% on the wine, the same wine that's in the keg as we have in the bottle. And that depends on the distribution network that the winemaker might have for accessing the kegs, how efficient they are, all sorts of things. But ultimately the saving is, is good. So as we go through this, I think, inflationary period, for hospitality, for suppliers to hospitality, particularly at the bottom end, it's going to be harder and harder to provide wines, good wines, at that five to ten pounds per glass out of bottle. But we've got a lot more breathing space to do that with key keg because their savings are built in. So if I, you also, as part of your business, you know, most of what you do is bottled wine. So it's not just a question of saying yeah. bottles are out, alternative formats are, are everything. How, how do you see the future for wine and for wine bottles? They're still there. I mean, you're right. It's wine on tap is about 10% of our business. I can't see, we're not going to phase out bottles entirely. And actually, I wouldn't want to. 
But I do think that from our side of the industry, where you're supplying the premium on trade with great wines from around the world, you do not necessarily need to be getting those wines by the glass sub £10 out of bottle. I'd like to see us going gradually or maybe faster than gradually over the next five years or so, over the next decade, to a point where the default option for those first four or five wines you have on your wine list by the glass to come out of a key keg. And the vast majority of other wines we will still have in bottle because that's the sector of the market we work with and, and it works well for that. But for the high turnover wines, it's it's not necessary. Nick Tyson, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So we might expect our house wines to come out of kegs in the future mm. or even other wines um, and maybe cost a, a bit less. Yeah, well, that's the key thing, isn't it? A cost saving mm. 10 to 30 percent sounds pretty welcome, I think. Mm. Um, now, Win-win. the kegs do look a bit strange, sorry, but, you know, this is a brave new world. Um, now, on that note, we haven't yet really touched on cans, have we? No. Um, so maybe this is the moment to bring in Ollie Pennell of the Copper Crew, a wine startup focused on quality South African wines out of a can. So I asked him, why cans? We think cans are a good thing for anything out and about, anything that uh, certain old trade venues where space is a real problem. And we also think that it's a really good thing, and maybe it's the most powerful element of it actually, is moderation. So cans, once you have, our cans are 250 mil. Once you have the can, that's it. Um, and a lot of people we know, the moderation part was really important because people would sort of regrettably finish off a bottle. And we think cans have a good have a good answer to that. So that's really why cans. Just to, uh, to touch on aluminium itself, obviously people worry about things like aluminium, as they do about things like plastic. Of course, it can be recycled. And as far as I understand, the recycling rates is pretty decent, about 70%. But obviously the aluminium mining itself does come at an environmental cost, bauxite, electricity, water. You know, what, how do you tackle that concern? Absolutely right. Again, one thing with sustainability and wine in all formats, there's no, there's no silver bullet. And that wasn't an aluminium pun. What I think it's about is looking at it and trying to do the best you can with what we have and starting somewhere. And with aluminium, as you've illustrated, there is a big downside that you have to extract something out of the ground to make them work. The big thing with cans, though, is that this idea of infinite recyclability. So once you produce it and it's there, there's you lose no amount of the material every time you recycle it. So therefore, you don't need to extract more. And there's there are a lot of cans in circulation. So our cans could be a can of beans from the 1960s, quite possible. Um, and that's really the most important thing about cans and why they're sensible. But I'm absolutely agree with you that they are not the perfect solution and also again with formats a lot of attention is paid to oh, cans are good bag and box is great paper bottles and agreed but you've got to look at sustainability holistically so that also means how you're producing the wine how you're shipping the wine how you send it out to customers etc it really is a massive process and that's the way that we try to think about it and you have to start somewhere rather than i think as much as i would like to have all the answers alas i don't and i think you're right. i think a lot of drinkers would like would say the same thing they do they just want they want to do the right thing mm. they want to be sustainable but at the moment it's quite difficult making sense of what is a very big and quite complex picture of yes on carbon emissions on the one on, on the one hand but then it's not just about carbon it's about methane and other gases but then it's also about plastic pollution and so many different things in the piece uh, across a supply chain and that's just wine isn't it absolutely uh, water usage as well so that there are so many things to take into account do you think there's any hope of achieving some sort of a 
comprehensible system of auditing and, and displaying this kind of information to, to customers, to wine drinkers? My personal belief on this is that the only way to really make the change happen is regulation. That's what I believe. I think taxation and regulation are the way to really, really start change. But in terms of things that uh, wineries can do is, and it's something that we would very much like to do, is it's starting on something like becoming a B Corp, where you are effectively audited on many of those things and you do have to move to a, a point of continuous improvement. And that, I think, is the right way to approach things. But then, as we've already touched on, wine is such a price-sensitive market. So anything you do which is more expensive, unless you can convince people to pay for it, then it's not going to move. So it's a very difficult chicken and egg, which I totally understand for most producers to be in. But I think if we're going to take it seriously, and we have to take it seriously, because the reality is if we don't do something, well, you can forget a lot of your nice wine-producing regions because the climate in 20, 30 years' time will mean that they can't produce what they want to produce. So I would like to think that it's in self-interest, but ultimately I think it has to come from regulation. What would you say to people who just like the feel and experience of drinking their wine out of a glass bottle? Totally get it. And this is something that uh, people often think I'm on a sort of mad crusade to end all bottles, full stop. No. Um, Bottles clearly have their place, and there's a ritual behind opening a bottle of wine, particularly if you're sharing it with somebody. There's an absolute, there's an important part of that. And I don't think alt formats are here to replace bottles. But what I think they are here to do is everyday drinking. I think that is where they have power to replace and significantly reduce carbon footprint, rather than saying a bottle shouldn't exist. Ollie, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. If we don't take it seriously, you can forget your nice wine-producing regions. That is punishing. <laughs> Crikey. Yeah, no, really interesting if you're here. And, and I think, fair enough, he's got a point. You know, like Rob, I think he's a believer in, in regulation and taxation as the ways to drive change. Um, but in the meantime, just trying to start somewhere, make you know, make a positive difference. He's a very but positive guy, actually. He is very positive. And I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I guess I'm going to be. But, I mean, isn't there talk about quality issues with... Cans. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. I did talk to him about it, but we didn't have time to put it in in, in here. But just to, to summarise, you know, every format has quality issues. You know, glass sure. with cork wine or reduction. Uh, plastic isn't a perfect barrier. It can allow oxygen to permeate and oxidise the wine eventually if it's not really good. You know, with cans, there have been issues reported with reduction, haven't there? Uh, or the formation uh-huh. of hydrogen sulphide, which just smells like sort of stinky eggs. Mm. Um, that's not pleasant. It's not very nice. It can happen in bottles, but uh, but it is you know in cans it's been identified as a problem in 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 up to 20 percent of cans in in one study that i've read some some research a thesis it's quite a lot, um, isn't it? so that's that's quite a big number i mean mm. i have to say that we haven't really found it to be that high generally the cans no we've had have no been, absolutely have been not. decent um the reason that the hydrogen sulfide forms is because some forms of sulfur which is used in a natural preservative in, in wine the free sulfur can react with the aluminium if it permeates the liner that's on the inside of the can so that can be an issue but i did ask Ollie about that and you know he said he, they hadn't had problems it's manageable if you're on top of it you just need to make the, the right wine in the right way and put the right kind of wine in the can if you're on top of that shouldn't be a problem and they, they haven't had major issues so and what about shelf life did yeah, it's another really that? good question. I asked most people about shelf life, actually. Um, now, it did seem that most of these alternative formats don't have long shelf life. They just don't. You know, They're not made. No. It's no, not the point. Exactly. If you yeah. want your wine to age for a long time, you put it in bottles. The point about these is 
you don't have shelf life because wine is acidic, it's corrosive, it's reactive. You know, bottles are okay because they're completely inert and impermeable. Mm. But plastics, cans, you know, they're not. They, they will end up failing at some stage. The key is to just get through the wines as quickly as possible. Most people it's said not a problem. It, it was fine. It was just a question of uh, effective stock management. Um, these wines are made to be drunk young, so get them through, tell people to drink them, and that's great. And so there is apparently minimal wastage in that sense. Um, and as specifically regards to cans, Ollie said... Interestingly, initially, their manufacturer wouldn't give them any assurances about shelf life. So he described it as a high-risk strategy to wow. start that business. Good on them for doing it, though, anyway. I know. Exactly. Um, but now, interestingly, they give 24 months as a period with no perceptible change of the wine. Mm. I mean, interesting, too, that Ollie touched on on moderation. That does seem mm. to be quite a common theme among the alt-format guys, you know, trying to encourage moderate consumption yeah. and also minimal wastage, as we yeah. just talked about. And I mean, don't, don't the Copper Crew cite some interesting ways Stats. Yeah, they do. They do. They point to a study by Lathwaite, which apparently found that the average British household throws away two glasses of wine a week. What? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> we'll come round and finish it off. <laughs> Throw it away. But apparently that, uh, that works out as seven, just over 17 bottles annually per household or 624 million bottles all told wasted. So a quarter of those people said they opened more than they wanted to drink. Um, the point being that cans are smaller formats so you can control your wastage better. And, okay. and be more moderate. So finally, we wanted to get an independent perspective on all of this, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. So I talked to Adam Herriot at RAP, a charity that looks at resource management and making sure packaging is sustainable and preventing waste. Now, he described glass as a fantastic material, endlessly recyclable and reusable. He said glass was becoming more energy efficient and both lightweighting of glass bottles and bulk shipping uh, and bottling in destination were really helping. But he also said glass is heavy, and so transporting it comes at an environmental cost. I then asked him about plastic. Plastic isn't an evil thing. It's, it's how we treat it that once we're, once we're done with it. Um, mm. It does say it doesn't litter itself. It's, we litter it, unfortunately. Um, so it's the, the way we're saving the plastics packs, we're making sure that um, any plastic that is used is one, it is necessary. It isn't just something that's there for show or just to make it slightly easier, so multi-pack things, for example, um, but also making sure it's designed and used the right the right materials and using materials that can be recycled. So um, rather than having uh, like a, a, a plastic bag or a pouch that is sort of got uh, different lots of layers and laminates, got foil in there, moving to make sure it's a, a mono material, so a single type of plastic, um, which can be easy then easily recycled rather than having to try and remove foil off and different layers, which we just can't do. And it's not economical to do. It's not, well, technically, it's not even possible to do a lot of the time. Um, so making sure that people think about that, that part of it as, as well. Can plastic be an OPT pet? Can, can it be infinitely recycled? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, in th- technically, no, it can't. Um, so the more times you recycle plastic, the the it will, it will start to degrade or lose its sort of properties and the strength. Um, however, it's not actually that big a problem. Um, so if you think like a plastic bottle, uh, they've got higher recycled content in there, but you're unlikely to ever get 100% recycled content in all packaging. So you're always introducing new plastic in there, um, which effectively nullifies that problem. Um, but also, that, and that's just only really applicable as well, if it's recycled through traditional means, so mechanical recycling. Uh, which is effectively sort of what you generally think of. So, you know, wash it, shred it, melt it, form it into a new product. 
Um, but there's also non-mechanical recycling or sometimes known as chemical recycling, which effectively breaks down the polymer into their monomers and build it back up into effectively a brand new plastic again, um, which stops that degradation. It's a brand new plastic, but it's recycled, it's recycled content. So, uh, and that's developing more and more, again, that's becoming more common now. And so I get plants in the UK that are doing that. Um, so yes, in plastic in theory, technically can't be recycled infinitely, but it's not actually a problem when there are technologies out there that are helping that sort that, pro- that problem and that solve that challenge. What about cans? Yeah, again, much like much like glass, um, aluminium metal, it's, it's infinitely recyclable. It doesn't lose its, its quality over time unless it's a made out of material that rusts away. Obviously, that's slightly different. Um, but again, it's very, very intensive to, to recycle uh, metal. It takes, obviously, to, to smelt new cans and new tins and, and whatnot. It, it takes a lot of energy. You have to heat that up really, really high. Um, so it's... It's it's a great material. It does fantastic stuff, and you, you know it's certainly a place on on the shelves for, for people to, to buy their buy their things. And um, I wouldn't say it is a uh, from a, a environmental side of things. I don't think we should swap things like say water bottles for aluminium cans. It makes no sense at all from an environmental side of things. Um, I think from a you're much better off looking at actually plastic is lighter, it's cheaper, it's less intensive to produce and recycle, um, and we're very good at collecting and recycling it. So, again, I don't think it should be something, it's necessarily something we should just switch to. It needs to be really carefully considered of of why we might want to switch and what the impact of that might be as a result of that. Right, thank you, Adam. Just just one final question for you. One uh, CEO of a wine brand said to me that wine is a villain in the climate story. Uh, Would you agree with that? I guess sometimes it can be the villain, um, but I think in general we need to tackle everything. We can't just say we can't blame it on one thing. if it's a problem, if, if it's a problem with wine in terms of what we're moving around the globe, it's a problem for other products too. And I think we need to tackle everything, not just focus on one particular product. Adam, thank you very much indeed for your time. No problem at all. So wine isn't necessarily the villain in the climate story. I mean, it's a bigger picture, but we do all need to do our bit, wine included. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's a very fair way of looking at it. As long as everyone is measuring, managing and reducing their impact, this is the best way forward. The blame game doesn't really help. So when he talked about chemical recycling, mm. that was the same as what we discussed with Ollie Lee at the Bibwine yeah. company when he talked about Enval's pyrolysis. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What Adam said was that, in his view, a combination of mechanical recycling, um, the traditional, the normal, and, and chemical recycling, this slightly newer one, was, was the best way forward for plastics. And there might be a role for, for labelling and tax too. Yeah, it, like Adam said, you know, plastic isn't evil. Nothing here is inherently wrong. Um, it's what we do with it, how we use it, how we recycle it, how all this impact the environment is what matters. Um, I think it's about having an awareness we need to take serious action. Um, you know, whether that involves labelling and tax too, maybe. But just then trying to do our best to figure out what combination of things is going to work best. So there we go. Mm. Mm, Quite a lot to process there. Um, To make it a bit more digestible, we've actually put some wine tips on our show notes, um, including the best wine we've ever tasted out of a can. That was something. Mm, Mm. It was, it really was. Um, Plus a variety of other things, including wines from those people we featured in the show. Yeah, now it's been said in the programme, but of course, wine's climate impact goes well beyond packaging uh, to the vineyard, winery, transport, uh, loads of stuff. You know, we did touch on this in our episode entitled Extinction Regeneration Wine, which is actually back in series one, uh, episode 27. Um, And no doubt we'll come back to it again soon because 
this is such an important issue. In the meantime, thanks to all our interviewees, Rob Mallon of When in Rome, Ollie Lee of the Bib Wine Company, Rich Hamblin of More Wine, Nick Darlington of Graft Wine, Ollie Pennell of The Copper Crew and Adam Herriot of Rap. Do tune in next time when we're chewing the cud with none other than living wine legend Oz Clark. Mm. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and cheers.